I had been doing some studying this week, and I was wanting to talk to you about pressure. And I was going to preach a message today about pressure, and I had a clip with that song. But, but we're not going to talk about pressure today. I think we're going to save that until next week because what I have to talk to you about today like, we really need to talk about this before we talk about pressure because the more I studied and the more I got about, like, what do we do under pressure and, like, is pressure a good thing or a bad thing and all that, I don't want to get into it because we need to talk about this first because this is going to set us up and kind of build a foundation for what we do under pressure, whether we're good under pressure or bad under pressure. You know, some people are really bad under pressure. And some people are really good under pressure, but there's a reason of why that is. So, and now I keep wanting to go into different examples, but we're not going there today. So we're gonna we're gonna build on this. Um, in Philippians one, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and read it, and then talk about it. Philippians one, verse one. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God every time I remember you. Just right there, that verse 3. Like Paul's telling this church at Philippi, every time I remember you, every time I think about you, I thank God for you. He must be really grateful for them. Is there anyone in your life that every time you think about them, you thank God? You like stop right there like, man, I got to pray and thank God for them. I mean, I do for my wife, but. Every time I think about you, Paul said, every single time I think about you, I thank God for you. Every time I remember you. Verse 4 says, in all my prayers, for all of you. Wait, not just some of them, because I'm sure there were some people at the church of Philippi, which, as we know, was a pretty large church. We've talked about that before, so there was a lot of people there. How could Paul be grateful for all of them? He made sure to be kind of specific. Every single one of you. I'm sure there were some of them that he didn't really like that much. I'm sure there were some of them that had stuff to say about him. He's grateful for all of them. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending, in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. This is what Paul's praying. That your love may abound or come up out of you more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Wait, can we start right there and say what had happened to him? Paul was writing this letter from prison. We've talked about this before. In a pretty bad, pretty rough prison. And if you go look at it, I looked at it this week, and almost all of the theologians agree that this was 
when Paul wrote this letter was the time that he was locked up in prison awaiting his execution by Rome. So he's got a death sentence and he's waiting on them to execute him. That's where he's writing this book from. So keep that in mind for a little bit of context with this verse. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Hold up. You are wrongfully accused. You've been beaten, whipped, uh, shipwrecked, bitten by poisonous snakes, uh, thrown in jail five times. Now you're in jail with a death sentence waiting to be killed for doing the right thing. Yet Paul says, I am in chains for Christ. I'm, do, I'm using it for good. God put me here. This is part of my purpose. I'm writing this letter to Philippi and I'm ministering to the guards and everybody in here is learning about Jesus just because I'm in here. Last verse we're going to read, verse 14. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Paul's saying, guys, I, I know it looks bad, but I need y'all to know that he's working. I need y'all to know that even though my situation looks horrible and I'm in this horrible prison and all these bad things and bad circumstances and no, I wouldn't pick to be here, I'd pick to be with you, but that's up to God. That's pretty much what Paul had said those, those first few verses we read. But I just need y'all to know that it's working. And people are, are growing and they're speaking more courageously about God and the Jesus message is getting out there and, and I'm converting all these guards and, and it doesn't matter what, you know, if I die, I die. That was Paul's mentality. If they kill me, it's okay. I'll just go to heaven. If they don't kill me, I'm going to keep on walking in purpose. And I'm going to have some joy and keep thanking God over and over and over. Paul was so thankful. Philippians is, if you go read it, I encourage you to go read it this week because it's really short. You could read the whole book of Philippians in probably 15 minutes like it's a super short it's just a few chapters um, so go read the whole book of Philippians but Philippians is they call it the thank you letter Philippians is like Paul's just going through there thanking people and talking about how joyful and how grateful he is it's pretty much a big thank you letter where Paul keeps saying things like rejoice, always. And then he tells you how. Paul says, in everything, give thanks. We just read it. I know that you've probably lost some things in your life. We all have. And you may have lost more than me, or you may have lost something more recent than I have, but we all know what it feels like to lose something but Paul is sitting here in a prison lost all this stuff you can't imagine much worse circumstances than Paul is living in now chained up in a sewage literally and Paul teaches us that the key is gratitude it's to still have a thankful heart toward God and people we see it all throughout all the books that Paul writes, but especially in Philippians. If you go read Philippians. Paul, how do you have joy? He's walking in purpose. And he used the time that he had to minister, to bless other people, not to have a pity party and wallow in his own bad circumstances. Paul was constantly helping other people, blessing other people, talking to the prison guards, saving the jailer instead of running for his own freedom. He spent his time to write these letters thanking others for supporting his ministry and supporting him and the call that's on his life. Paul, how do you have so much joy? 
because he was sitting there writing a thank you letter thinking about all the things that he was grateful for and all the things that God had done in his life and how God had used all those people from the Philippian the church at Philippi how God had used all the Philippians how how they had shown up him and Silas had shown up and there was a young demon possessed girl that was a slave remember and they set her free that's where she was from and so he's probably thinking about all this. Like now that girl, who know, she was probably a part of the church at Philippi. Now that she was set free and she was no longer a slave. And so all these things are just popping in his mind. And he's saying, man, every time I think about y'all, I, I just think about that girl and I, I can't help but thank God. But then I want to thank y'all too. You know, there's a lot of people in my life, and as I was studying this and thinking about this, I was kind of convicted because I thought about, there's a lot of, some of y'all in the room that I'm really grateful for and thankful for, and, and it crosses my mind. And I may even, like Paul did, I might thank God for you. I might thank God for him or her, the blessing that they are to me in my life. But then, do I take it the next step and like let you know that? Because that's what we're supposed to do as Christians and to build each other up. And that's how God set it up. And that's the pattern that Paul lays out for us is don't just let it stop with, I told God I was grateful for him. Go tell them you're grateful for him. You know how much better your marriage will be if, you're, if your spouse feels like they're appreciated or that you're grateful for them? You know how much better your just your relationships with each other are? I've never been mad at somebody for being too grateful for me. I'm not, man, they're annoying. Every time he comes around, he tells me how much he appreciates me. I hate to see him coming. I'm turned down another aisle if I see him in Walmart. No, that's, that's not usually the kind of person that's annoying. Somebody that's too grateful for you. You actually like to see them coming. Because it makes you feel good. It makes you feel validated and appreciated and it gives you confidence. And that's not just a biblical perspective. That's a perspective that's backed up by scientific research and studies by a, neuro, a neuroscientist. I listened to a very long, boring TED Talk and pulled out some good nuggets for you guys. So I took all the boring, and I'm going to give you the good parts. That, and it also, it's crazy because it lines up with Scripture. Like, it can all be backed up with Scripture, but it's not a spiritual or biblical thing. And so I love it when that happens because most, a lot of, most of the time it does. Because God created us and created our bodies and designed us the way we think, the way we interact with each other relationally, all these things. And so whether you believe in God or not, when you go to study it, it's backed up by Scripture. It bears witness with your spirit and with your soul. And so... It was super cool. I actually just jumped my notes on that, but anyways, I'll go ahead and tell you about it. Um, so we've talked about gratitude before and being thankful and, and stuff like that and how important that is. And I preached a message out maybe a year ago or something um, where we looked into the fact that gratitude is the pathway to joy. So by having gratitude, it's like your path to joy, to having joy in your life. And, and the joy of the Lord that is your strength, that you need to be grateful or thankful to have that. So what this guy and what their findings in all of their research was, is that yes, it's very helpful to like the most common gratitude practice there is that when people say, I need to be more grateful, I need to be more thankful, I want to is to take your journal and sit down and write down things that you're thankful for. That's the most common thing that you can do, and that's good. That's a great thing, a great gratitude practice, um, is to sit and just write down those things in your journal. Some people say, like, five things a day, I'm going to write out something I'm thankful for in my life. Or, and even if there's not much, you, I mean, you woke up this morning, you're still breathing. Like, there's, there are things that you can be thankful for. And so in all of their studies, and all of their findings, they found out that, yes, that is helpful. And yes, that's much better than none. 
but even more so, and there, there are lots of major health benefits to gratitude, like physically in your body. It's, um, it helps your heart, your cardio, your all kind of stuff. Your immune system is greatly affected by your gratitude and by how thankful you are a person. Um, mentally, it helps you and it changes the way you think. Right? It changes pathways in your brain that gratitude is that powerful, that it can change the way you think and it can change your physical body. And so what they found in all of these studies was that while it's great to write it down, that um, your brain actually fires almost twice as much when you are giving to someone, giving gratitude to someone. So yes, for me to write down in my journal, I'm so grateful for Jesse. She's a wonderful wife, period. That's wonderful, right? And that can help me a little bit in my brain. But what the studies show is if I go and tell her that, it does almost twice as good in my brain and in my physical health and my body from me telling. Or if I were to write it as a letter that I was giving to that person that I was genuinely grateful for, it, it does a lot more good for me. But then here's the crazy thing. It does more good mentally and physically for the person that receives the gratitude. Jesse would get more out of it than I would. Even though it's good for me and I'm commanded to do it and I'm supposed to do it and it's the pathway to joy, she can receive the benefits of gratitude from me. Like, and so it can make her physically better. It can make her mentally better and stronger because she's feeling those benefits from me. That's why Jesus and Paul and David, and we have so many examples that, I'm going to jump back on my notes. We're going to look at a few of those examples here in a second. But they teach us that we're supposed to give gratitude to each other. We're supposed to be connected. Because then when I give you a gift, when I give you these tests, they tested all kind of stuff. Like when you give, you give somebody money. When you give somebody a thank you letter for who they are. When you give the, the gratitude. And it's always, always in their test. There are more neurons firing in the brain and more, uh, I almost said melatonin. Serotonin? No, dopamine. Dopamine. Sorry. Got, um, there's more dopamine that is released into your brain when you're the one receiving it. And then I thought about different times in my life, and it makes sense. And when I read the Bible and look at all these different scriptures that I'm bringing up today, it all makes sense. And I think about, like, like when for pastor's appreciation. You guys take up a collection and y'all have given me a gift and you've come up here and you've had somebody say a nice thing about me for pastor's appreciation and then you guys give me a gift, me and Jesse, and like the feelings that that gives me, it's very humbling, it's very, it's, I feel honored, I feel valued, I feel all these things and that is the effects of gratitude, just an overwhelming sense of gratitude. Because there's not only like a, hey, I appreciate you, but there's a gift, and you really feel like it's true. It's genuine, you like, and you feel appreciated. It's like that on all different levels when we choose to appreciate each other. And the end result of it is joy. It makes you feel joy. Like, hey, just staying on that same example, yeah, okay, so as a pastor, there's a lot of hard things that you have to do, and there's, you know, people say stuff about you, and there might be a lot of hard things that year, and then guess what? To feel appreciated and validated and the, the effects of gratitude, you have joy. No matter if everything's perfect, because nothing, it's never perfect. There's always problems. 
I, I have problems, if you didn't know that. If you're looking for a perfect pastor, you might want to try a different church. But we all do. Everybody has problems. So you can have joy in the middle of problems. And gratitude is the way you get there. So Philippians, it only has 104 verses in it. The whole entire book of Philippians, it has 104 verses. And 18 different times in those verses, Paul uses the word joy or rejoice. It is known by theologians as the happiest book in the Bible. The happiest or the most joyful book in the Bible. So how do you stay sweet when life sucks? Because It's going to sometimes. But just because pressure's put on you and you're squeezed doesn't mean joy can't come out. It can. I want you to think about it. Just really think about it. Paul was a killer, if you don't know. Paul was a murderer. Paul threw rocks at Christians and hit them in the head until they died. He held coats for people that were doing that and, like, congratulated them and honored them for that. Like, Paul was a pretty bad, like, he was a murderer. He had made some pretty bad mistakes. He was in prison, waiting on his execution. And that's the guy that's teaching us today. So what I'm saying is he had a lot of past he had a lot of issues. He had a lot of brokenness. Probably worse than you. He was definitely in a worse situation than you are right now. You're all sitting here in clean clothes and free and AC on and you got food to put in your mouth today. Like You're all in a much better position than Paul was today. The joy of the Lord is not happiness because happiness is dependent on circumstances. So we're not talking about happiness. We're talking about joy. You know, there's something that's been going on at my house that's very frustrating. Um, and every single morning, it's my job as the father of the house to feed our cats. Okay, Because I'm their father too. And so every single morning when I wake up, I set my alarm for like 10 minutes before I'm supposed to wake up Sky to get him to football practice bright and early in the morning. And I walk outside and I feed the cats so they know what time they get fed. So they're sitting right beside the glass door on the garage when I go out there. They're sitting there waiting. Well, recently, my neighbor's chickens that they do not keep in a pen found out that they like cat food. And now there's like 20 chickens that show up at my house bright and early sitting there waiting to chase my cats away from the cat food that I bought for them and surround the cat food dishes and eat the cat's food while the cats sit there meowing and crying about it. They steal my cat's food. I chase them away I've tried to kick them. I've threatened to catch them and eat them. Lock them up in my own pen and eat their eggs. I haven't done any of that, but I might. Anyways, back to the message. That was just therapy. I needed to get that off. I'm going to find some healing. By no. M me, as it's kind of a dumb example, but me as a father... I've provided that cat food for those cats. And it is so frustrating to me to watch the cats back off. It's like I want to give them a pep talk. Actually, I have given them a pep talk, if you want to be real with you. Like, guys, y'all can kill those chickens. Come on, brother. You're tough. Jump on them. Attack them. Quit hiding under the truck, dude. Chase the chickens away. That's your food. You own that. Don't let them steal it. It's so frustrating to watch something else come in and steal what is rightfully theirs. And, you know, I feel like that's how God feels about us and our joy because we let so many things steal our joy. 
and God gave us the joy. God said, hey, you can have joy no matter what your circumstances look like. You get to have joy. And me as the Father, every single morning, my mercies are renewed, and I'm going to give you a new joy. And the Father comes out, and He gives you this new joy, and then what you let a dumb circumstance walk up and steal your joy. You let uh, gas price jumped up three more cents steal your joy. And Nehemiah tells us that the joy of the Lord is your strength. So that's like your food. That's what gives you strength to get through that day and to enjoy your life and to walk in purpose and to change the world. And if you have no joy, you have no strength and you can't do what God's called you to do. Just like if my cats have no food, they're, they're just getting skinnier and skinnier. They're about to starve to death. Okay, I'm just kidding. I'll make sure they get some food. But but you, if you just allow everything that comes along to rob your joy, and every time the Father refills your bowl and says, you need to eat so that you'll have the strength to do what I've called you to do, and then you just like look around and say, oh, God, here comes all the circumstance. Oh, here comes all my bills, and I don't know how I'm going to get them all paid. So there goes, just let my bills have my joy or let my dysfunctional relationship take all my joy because I'm not willing to fight for it through counseling or whatever else that I need to do or or I'm just going to, and you can just keep going on and on and on. Your chickens might look like an addiction. Your chickens might look like circumstances. Your chickens might be something you can control. They're probably just coming out of the neighbor's yard. Most of the time, the things that steal my joy are not something I created or put there usually coming from somewhere else that I can't even control. But they can't take your joy unless you let them. Stop letting stuff steal your joy. God gives you joy. Don't allow stuff to take it. There's this, um, there's an acronym, and I don't know who made it, but it lines up with with all of Paul's teachings and what we're talking about today. And it's, it's for the word joy. And it's Jesus, others, and you. In order. And I think that's really cool because if we, as long as we have that in order, then we have joy. Right? If Jesus is first, and we're thankful and grateful and he's first, and then others, well, why others next? Because that crushes selfishness. And at the root of all sin is selfishness. And the reason I sin is because it feels good or I want to do it or it's something that I was tempted to do or what. Like it's, but it's always, you can trace it back to selfishness from the Garden of Eden all the way until now. And so by putting others first in the order, Right, by valuing someone else, by choosing, hey, I want the benefits of gratitude in my life, so how am I going to get the benefits of gratitude? I'm going to make sure a whole bunch of people are, know how grateful I am for them. I'm going to give some people some little gifts. I'm going to write some letters. I'm going to let people know how grateful I am. Why? Because from the research that I told you about, you are then giving them the gift and the benefits of gratitude. The cool thing is, the way that God designed it is, you get benefits from it too. And then usually when you let somebody know how grateful you are for them, then they think about it and say, man, I'm really grateful for them too. They might even let you know sometime. Jesus, others, you. But if you get it out of order, like if it's you, others, Jesus, and he's the last minute thought, or if it's it doesn't spell joy anymore. Like it doesn't just come out to be joy because it's out of order. This is what Paul teaches us. Let's get the order right and it'll all work out. So gratitude, you could say it this way. We said before that gratitude was the pathway to joy. You could say it this way. Gratitude is the seed of joy. 
So if I want a bunch of corn, what do I need to do? Go plant a bunch of corn seeds, and then corn's going to grow. So what we learn in Scripture, and it's backed up by science, is gratitude is the seed of joy. So if you look at your life and you don't have much joy or you're losing your joy a lot, then you just start planting seeds of gratitude because that's going to help you grow this awesome part of the fruit of the Spirit, joy. What are you planting? Do you know you're teaching your kids what to look for every single day? The good or the bad. They watch you. They listen to you. They learn from you. You can teach them to look for the beautiful things in life or you're teaching them to look for the ugly things in life. You're teaching them to find the good in every situation or the bad in every situation. You're teaching them to find the good in every single person or the bad in every single person. You're, you're teaching them to be grateful or complain. Either way. And, and we forget that because we just get caught up in the emotion in the moment and what we feel like and what our feelings are saying. And then not only are we taking ourselves to a bad place, but we take our kids, we take the people that are watching us, we take the people that are following behind us, the people that look up to us or respect us. We're all leaders. So in Matthew 11, we won't read it, but um, you can go read that Jesus gets a little bit upset. He, there's several things have happened, and Jesus kind of goes on a little rant to the disciples about different cities that he's gone to and ministered, and they didn't respond, and they didn't do what he thought they should have done. And, and then he's really upset because he finds out his cousin, the only one that understood him and, like, the closest relationship that we know of from when Jesus was a kid, he got thrown in jail, wrongfully accused, and then he got his head chopped off. And Jesus finds out about all that, and Jesus is just upset. He's experienced loss. He's experienced, like, he doesn't know why things turned out like they did. He feels like he's done a lot of work and poured in a lot, and nothing happened. And then in Matthew 11 is where it tells us that after Jesus is fussing about all that, then it says abruptly Jesus broke into prayer, and he said, Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Lord of heaven and earth. Your creator of all things. And Jesus goes into this prayer and, and his prayer starts. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. I'm grateful for you. And then after that, the way the message Bible words it is, it said, now Jesus spoke tenderly to the people. And then he ministered and performed a miraculous miracle where he fed 5,000 people. So then the Holy Spirit was able to get in there and move and flow because even Jesus knew, like, hold on, man, I'm getting upset. I'm losing my joy. I've lost John. I've lost this. This city didn't work out. That city didn't. Jesus said, hold up. Thank you, God. He just stops and kind of recentered himself. Thank God. And then what happened? Then he was able to speak with people, speak to people with compassion, and then he did a insane miracle and ministered to thousands of people what if Jesus just kept on riding with those feelings and stayed on his human side and didn't throw in some gratitude to shift the way he was thinking in the moment would he have then done that major miracle next would he have had the compassion to minister to all those people would he have started speaking to the disciples tenderly I don't know I kind of think not and I think that's an awesome example that we're given there. Jesus gave thanks, and it changed everything. Why? Because Jesus knew the power of gratitude, of thanks, praise. If you want to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, you want to do miraculous things, you better learn how to practice gratitude. Jesus knew that. Paul knew it. David knew it. Let me read you a couple of psalms that David wrote. Um, Psalm 118, verse 17. I didn't die. I lived. And now I'm telling the world what God did. 
Like, I'm going to tell everybody about it. God tested me. He pushed me hard. But he didn't hand me over to death. David had been through a really hard time, and he's sitting there saying, like, God tested me. He pushed me hard, but he didn't hand me over. I'm still alive. If he never did another thing for me, what he's done is enough. The cross was enough. Swing wide the city gates, the righteous gates. I'll walk right through and do what? Thank God. This temple gate belongs to God. So the victors can enter and praise. Thank you for responding to me. You've truly become my salvation. The, the stone the masons described as flawed is now the capstone. This is God's work. We rub our eyes. We can hardly believe it. This is the very day God acted. Let's celebrate and be festive. Salvation now. God. Salvation now. Oh, yes. God. A free and full life. Hear how thankful David is throughout that whole psalm and just how he's like getting himself more and more excited to the end. A free and full life. Psalm 100, verse 1. On your feet now, applaud God. Bring a gift of laughter. Like let your joy, laughter is a gift. Your joy is a gift. Bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourselves into his presence. Know this. God is God and God, God, period. He made us. We didn't make him. We're his people. His well-tended sheep. Enter with this password. Enter what? Enter into God's presence with this password. Here's the password. Thank you. He said that's how you enter into God's presence is thanking him. Y'all notice why, like, every, you probably won't come into a worship service where I don't, between some of the songs, thank God for who he is, for what he's done in our lives, for how grateful I am for his presence, for, why? Because David tells us that that's the password into his presence. And I need to go there. I want to go there. Make yourselves at home. Talk and praise talking about the things you're thankful for. Thank Him. Worship Him. So, Scripture tells us that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And if we enter into His presence, <coughs> that we enter into His presence with thanks. So that tells me that thanks brings freedom. An attitude of gratitude, a thankful heart, thankful living enables you to live in freedom, to walk in freedom. Psalm 30, verse 5. For his anger endureth but a moment, and in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for the night, for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. How does joy come in the morning? When we learn to be grateful. We learn to thank God. We learn to look for the good. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Rejoice evermore or always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. Notice it says, in everything give thanks, not for everything. Like, this doesn't mean that you're thankful for everything. You don't have to be thankful for the bad things that happen to you. But you can be thankful in everything. You can still be grateful and thankful in everything. You don't have to be grateful for everything. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, have you ever said or you heard somebody say, "Just I just don't know what God's will is for me. I don't know what he wants me to do. I don't know what the will of God is for me today. Well, this is pretty simple right here. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 
Here's God's will for your life. In everything, learn how to give thanks. Why? Because that's going to lead to joy, and joy is your strength, and then you're going to be a strong Christian that looks like Jesus, and so you're probably going to make a big difference in the world that you're living in. Pretty simple. Because you're genuinely grateful, and you have gratitude. And then right after that, he says, quench not the Spirit. Well, why'd they throw that verse in there right after these verses about give thanks for everything? Because when you complain, <clears throat> you quench, you put out the Spirit. You're complaining, complaining about this, complaining about that, then you quench the Spirit. You put out the fire. A spirit of gratitude is a spirit of generosity. When you're grateful, you give. When you're thankful, you give to show somebody you appreciate them. Just like giving thanks can take you into the will of God, complaining can get you right out of it quickly. I've seen people complain their way out of relationships. I've seen people complain their way out of churches that really were good for them and for their family. But then they started complaining and complained their way right out of them. I've seen people complain their way out of jobs. Or sit there and complain about your job and over and over and how horrible it is and how you're not appreciated and you don't make that. And then eventually, guess, you don't work there anymore. You just complain to complain yourself right out of a job. I've seen people complain themselves out of invitations. What I mean by that is you're just a big complainer, and so you don't get invited to do things. Man, I wonder why they, when they went out to eat, grab lunch, they didn't invite me. Maybe because every time they're around you, all you do is complain. You know, just gratitude and giving thanks can get you into things like God's presence, but complaining can get you right out of some things, things that you want to be in. There's power in your words. And you are training yourself what to look for every single day. Where Jesus said, seek and you will find. Good things, bad things, whatever it is, you're burning pathways in your mind every single day and training yourself what to look for. And where you'll go. That the verse we just read, this is... The last verse, I just want to read you how the Message Bible words that. First <clears throat> Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18 in the Message Bible. Be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. Saying this is what you're supposed to look like. Be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Not just when things are good. Now, this is where I had in my notes to talk to you guys about the benefits of gratitude and the podcast I listened to and stuff that I already told you all. So. Yep, I already, I already talked to you all about all that. So in this thing Jesus others you gratitude is the seed of joy so if you don't have much joy start planting gratitude how remember remember God and his faithfulness remember people and things that they've done for you and how they've helped you like it's easy for me to look at somebody and pick out a couple of things that I don't like about them or things I could complain about them but then I can also think about ways that they've blessed me or ways I can I can choose so you remember remember the good things that have happened in your life remember the things that you've been helped with the things that you've been given you you choose to remember you know I thought that was cool in verse 6 that we read in first Philippians verse 6 in, uh, in Philippians 1, verse 6, it said, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion 
until the day of Christ Jesus. So that tells me that in remembering, usually when we think about remembering, we're remembering the past. So if I say, remember God and be grateful, you're remembering past victories or past times that God's come through for you or times in the past where God has saved you or protected you or kept you alive when you should have been killed or whatever it is. That's what we think of as in the past. But Paul's showing us right there in that letter that he's also talking about the future. Paul's giving us an example that God, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Like that God's still working. What we talked about in the worship service, he's still working on me. He's not finished with me yet. So as you remember, you can remember that like Romans 8, 28 says, God works all things together for the good of them that are called according to his purpose. So you remember what the scripture says. You remember what God says about you, that you're his son and his daughter. You remember that God has a future for you. You remember that there is hope in the future. You remember that no matter what I'm going through right now, that God can work it all together for my good. And God's going to work through my brokenness. If I just keep pressing towards purpose, then all of this will be used. So you remember what the Scripture says, and you remember the promises that God has on your life. You don't just remember the things in the past that you've walked through or that He's got you out of. You remember that God is in the future, and He is calling you to it. God's standing in the future and says, I'm here, and you're whole, and you're healed, and you're powerful. Keep walking. You're almost here. Come on. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't start complaining and backing up and sticking your head in the sand. Keep on coming. Keep walking. So how do we do it? We remember. You know what that does when you start to remind yourself of those things? It gives you hope, strength, faith. It gives you confidence, like Paul just said. It produces joy. A joy that will sustain you, that will be your strength. God will finish what he started. But can I say this? God will finish what he started. Scripture tells us that. I believe that. But God is not obligated to finish what you started. So, I've seen a lot of people like to post online, like, I don't see how this is going to happen. But God's going to finish what he started. But did he start it or did you start it? Because God is not obligated and God never promised in his word to finish everything you started. Some of the things you started don't need to be finished. Because that's going to leave you with an end result that's not good. And so God as a loving father will look at you even if it's going to cost you pain. And he'll say, not, not going to finish that one, bud. Sorry, I'll finish what I started in you. Because that's going to bring you joy and hope and fulfillment and purpose. God will finish what he started. <clears throat> so remember, and the second and very last thing, celebrate what God is doing in someone else's life. So, we talked about the gratitude and how effective that is to go and give it to someone else and how it's even more effective for the person that you're giving it to and this ties into all of that but it's basically just the simple idea of if you're having a hard time seeing what God is doing in your life because we all we get to those places maybe you're having a hard time like God I don't see you working too much in my life where are you at so if you're having a hard time seeing what God is doing in your life, celebrate what God is doing in someone else's life. Trust me, it works. Like, I might not have a baby yet, and I really wanted God to give me a baby, so what I'm going to do is, and I'm not, I'm, I'm, it's an example. I've had three babies, and I don't want any more babies for myself, so I'm good. I'm, this is an example. But if you're trying to have a baby and you and God's not giving you a baby right now for whatever reason or like 
you ain't got a spouse and so it ain't working and whatever for whatever reason that is so you choose to celebrate everyone else that has a baby genuinely not just like yeah I'm glad you had it no you you congratulate them and give them gifts and celebrate the fact that that God gave them a baby and you know what can you be in that child's life and help them grow and parent them and you celebrate. What if you're praying for your healing, but you haven't seen that healing yet? But you choose to celebrate the way that God's healing other people around you. See, that's what Paul teaches us. That's what Jesus taught us. You change your focus and your perspective. You choose to celebrate what God's doing in somebody else. Why? Because that squashes selfishness. That pushes it right on out the door. It's not all about you. And maybe you don't know what's best for you right now. And maybe you can't see the full process that God's trying to walk you through to get you where you need to be. So although you know what you want, you may not know exactly what you need. So ultimately, if you learn to trust God and celebrate what He's doing in the lives of everyone else around you, and you'll be better for it. And you start to look more and more like our God. It's the opposite of selfishness. Being grateful for what God's doing. Even under pressure. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thanks for speaking to us. Thank you for getting to us on a real level. Things that we deal with in our lives and that you can speak to us through words that were written down thousands of years ago. And we can listen to these stories and we're grateful for Paul the Apostle. We're grateful for David and Jesus coming and living on this earth as a man so that we could have all these examples that we can look at and then they can help us live our lives today, 2022. We're still pulling truth out of it. God, thank you that you're so big and you're so awesome and powerful that you can work all things together for our good. We love you. We're grateful for you. We're we're thankful to be a part of your family. In Jesus' name, amen.